0: Good morning to each one and greetings in Jesus' name, our Lord and our Savior. It is good to be gathered together again this morning to worship the Lord and to look into His Word. For the message this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. I want to bring a message this morning from the book of Ruth, titled the message this morning, The Gleaner and the Harvest. The book of Ruth is a story about Ruth and Boaz. This story takes place at a time in Israel's history that was very spiritually dark. And it was a difficult time for Israel. But as we look at it this morning, we will see how God took a situation that was very dark and transformed it for good. And through this, He shows us His wonderful grace in a loving way. I have a trivia question for you this morning. Can anyone tell me what the name of Ruth's first husband was? Anyone? Yes, Malan is correct. All right, I want to read Ruth chapter one this time. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malan and Chilion, Ephoritus of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Mahlon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. And Yeomah said unto her, unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And yelma said, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. For if I should say, I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes, that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold... Thy sister-in-law is going back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest." So here in verse one, we notice that this book begins with a simple statement that says, in the days when judges ruled. This tells us that the people lived in a way that they saw fit. There was very little morality from God's word. They had adopted paganistic lifestyles. They were living like the pagans. They were worshiping pagan gods and pagan altars. Spiritually, it was a very dark time. Maybe that was the reason for the famine they were experiencing at this time. We see here that it centers on the village of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus, who is the bread of life, was from the city of David, Bethlehem. In the place called House of Bread, they had none. There was a famine going on, and food was scarce. Was the famine due to the disobedience of Israel? When they came into the land, they were told to get rid of the Canaanites from the land, but they failed to do that. God had told them, if you get rid of the Canaanites from the land... Now he told them that if they failed to get rid of them that they would eventually pick up their religious practices and the Canaanites would draw you away after their gods and that is what happened. And it didn't take long for the Israel to adopt the ways of the pagans especially as it relates to the crops. I believe this is one reason for judgment. God sent a famine that would directly affect their food supply. See, the Canaanites worshipped Baal. Baal was a god of fertility. The pagans thought that this god owned the fields and the land. So God is showing them that no matter what they do to worship the god Baal, and in that there is no fertility, there is no abundance, And there is no fruitfulness in the land. God would often bring a specific judgment based upon the error of his people. Verse 2 tells us Elimelech. It also tells us how he chose to deal with the lack of food in the land. It tells us that he packed up his family and moved to Moab. The Moabites were distant relatives of the Israelites. This man, Moab, was the son of Lot's daughter. He was Lot's grandson. And he was also his son because he was born from an incestuous relationship that brought about the conception of this man named Moab. So this decision that Elimelech made to go to Moab at a time of national famine Was this a wise decision? Was the Lord directing him to take his family to Moab? And I don't have all the answers this morning. But it is something I thought about a lot as I studied this. And it's easy to be critical of others' decisions. He picks up his family from Bethlehem in the land of Judah to go to Moab. Did Elimelech make this decision to go to Moab as a result of the famine? Is this a decision that he made prayerfully? Did he have direction from the Lord in this? Remember that throughout time God always, has always wanted His people to trust Him and not lean on their own understanding. And that is why setting out on your own is so dangerous. Pray about things. Seek direction from the Lord when you are faced with decisions. Psalm 37, David is writing here. Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now am old, yet have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Remember, even when difficult times come upon us, God has a merit of ways of taking care of His children, even in a time of famine. We see in Scripture multiple times where famine came on the land, a time of great want came upon the land. And to those people who were not trusting in the Lord, it was a terrible time. But for those who trusted in God, God met their needs. And David is saying in this passage in Psalms, I have yet to see those who are in a right relationship with God begging for bread, because they are trusting in the Lord, and He takes care of those who trust in Him. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor His descendants begging bread. Something I notice in the book of Ruth is that God always has a remnant of people who follow Him who are devoted to His Word, even in dark spiritual times. I believe we are living in dark spiritual times. God has always had a people, and always will have a people, regardless of the spiritual temperature of society around us. A people that says, God, I trust in You. My life is in Your hands, and I'm going to follow Your Word. there are times when God's provision involves relocating. When Herod wanted to kill Jesus after he was born, the Lord directed Joseph to take Mary and the baby and go to Egypt for a while until Herod was gone or until the threat was gone. God's provision at that time meant the relocation of His people. And I'm not implying that it was wrong for Elimelech to move his family to Moab. The Bible doesn't tell us if God directed him to move his family or whether he made that choice on his own. What we do know is that sometimes God will move his people and other times he will keep us right there. He will see you through where you are and we can trust in the fact that God will take care of us despite what is going on around us as we trust in him. In Luke chapter 4, we read about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Satan tempted Jesus for a period of 40 days. And when the 40 days was up, remember, Jesus hadn't eaten this entire time. And it says he was hungry. And it tells us that for a reason. It was at that point that Satan came and brought a temptation that was specifically designed to exploit his physical weakness. Jesus was hungry. Luke 4, 3 says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Satan does this in our lives too. He looks for a place of weakness. With Jesus, he played on his hunger. And he does the same with us. He tempts us to take things into our own hands and resolve it. He tells Jesus, this, this stone looks like a loaf of bread. So why don't you just make it into a loaf of bread and satisfy your hunger? Jesus comes back and says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. By that, I believe Jesus is saying, You think my hunger is the most important thing in the world right now, but it is not. I trust my Father in heaven. I'm trusting Him to take care of me. Jesus came to show you and I how to trust the Father. Could He have turned the stones to bread? Yes, sure He could have. He is God in human flesh. Does your heart hunger for every word that proceeds from the mouth of God this morning? Another example we have is Abraham in Genesis tells us that even after God told Abraham, he said, Look around. He said, All this I give you. And it tells us after Abraham had been in the land for a while, there was a famine. What did Abraham do? He decided, I'm going to Egypt. I'm taking my wife to Egypt. And by doing so, he put Sarah in harm's way. See, when we take matters into our own hands, sometimes we put those we love in harm's way. Because we haven't thought it through, neither do we understand all the potential consequences of our choice. The choices we make do have consequences. In verse 3, we see that Elimelech, the husband of Neomah, died and she was left with her two sons. It tells us these two sons of hers took Moabite women for their wives. The one was Orva and the other was Ruth. Then, in chapter 4, we found out which one Ruth was married to. Ruth 4 verse 10, we find out that she was married to Malan. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her... So Elimelech died. Then Malan and Chilion died also. In this culture, the woman's hope and future is, is shattered. The ability for a woman to survive without her husband and without her sons was practically zero. Not in Moab, anyway. And that is why Naomi is packing her bags to go back home to to Judah. For her to survive, she would need to go back to her family. There were times when widowed women would literally starve to death in that culture. Things went downhill for this family in a period of ten years. In verse 6, she picks up these two young widows and begins her way back to Israel. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. They were obviously in the fields gleaning get food to eat. And it is there that she had heard that the Lord had been gracious to Israel. They had heard that there was now an abundance of food. Crops were being harvested once again. She plans to go back to Judah and her daughter-in-law is with her. She turns to them and says, why don't you go back to your mother's Home, may the Lord show you kindness to you as you have shown to me. You are both young. You can remarry. I'm in a desperate situation, but there's absolutely no reason for you to go along with me. You both have a future. Return to your family. I thank you for the way you dealt with my family. She encourages them to go back. It says she kissed them and they wept. At first, they both said, we are going with you. She again tells them they should go back, and Orpha takes her up on that after more weeping. Then in verse 15, we have Naomi speaking. She, says, and she said, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. As Moab's, their primary god was Chemosh. And Chemosh is referred to by the Lord in Scripture as the abomination of Moab. They would sacrifice their children to this God. He was a terrible God to serve. And Neoma says to Ruth, go back. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You go back too. Naomi is feeling hopeless without her husband, without her sons, She knows she must walk 50 miles back to Bethlehem on foot. And I can imagine that would be a challenging journey. She feels like these girls still have an opportunity to escape poverty. And I like Ruth. Ruth speaks very little in the book of Ruth. But what she does say is beautiful. Verse 16, but Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, parts you and me. Remember, she too is grieving. Neoma isn't the only one that is hurting. These ladies lost their husbands. Look how Ruth is trusting God. She is choosing to follow the God of Israel. I will make your God my God, saying, I want your God. We don't know what all Ruth saw of the God of Israel in Elimelech and Naomi. We don't know what their level of devotion was. And going off to Moab. But there must have been something that she learned of the God of Israel that she would say, I want your God. Do people see that in us, in our lives, in my life, in your life? That they say, I want what you have. She says, I want your God. It's a powerful statement of faith and trust. It's something we can all learn from and strive for in our own lives. It's faith in action. In faith, she is facing the unknown. This is awesome. Here we have this Moabite woman wanting to go to a foreign land. She is witted. She has nothing. She has no idea whether the people of Israel will accept her or shun her. At least in Moab, she knows the people. But she says, I will go to Israel with you. And I will make your God my God, your people my people. That is faith. She didn't know what to expect. She had no experience in the land of Israel. But she chose to trust God anyway. Verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. That means Nehemiah didn't press the issue. She accepted it and didn't mention it again. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? The women said, Is this Naomi? When she returned, it had been ten years. This was not the Nehemiah that they had remembered from ten years before. She was different. That's why she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Her name means pleasant. Things were pleasant when I left, but now. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Verse 20, she says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She's basically blaming God for her circumstances. Ten difficult years in Moab and all the sorrow that came with them had taken its toll on Naomi. That the women said when she came back, Is this Naomi? She said, Don't call me Naomi anymore. She said, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Have you given in to temptation, to bitterness? To be bitter when something happens in our lives. But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? When Naomi came home, filled with bitterness, she even told them to call her bitter. But what she didn't realize is that she was about to witness a work of God that would blow her mind. God is about to take those difficult circumstances and use them in ways that she couldn't begin to imagine. God is going to bless her, and it's going to be an amazing blessing. God is taking Yoma's life and working it together for good, but she can't see it. Just call me bitter because God has filled me with bitterness. She's not able to see that just around the corner there is blessing, there is joy. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now let's move into chapter 2. We have the next character in the story of Ruth. I don't believe I'll read it for the sake of time. What does verse 1 tell us about Boaz? He was a relative of Naomi's. He was a man of wealth. NIV says he was a man of standing. He was an honorable man. He was a godly man. He was well respected in the community. He was of the family of Elimelech. Boaz was a man of God. Boaz was a man who God had prospered. This was a time of famine there in the land, and not everyone left the country during the famine. Boaz was a man who had stayed. He had survived the famine, and when Naomi got back, what did she find? She found that Boaz did just fine there in the land. Even during the time of famine, he prospered. Even in challenging times, times where in your field of vision, there's this threat to your well-being. God can take care of you. He can see you through that time. And we see that in the life of Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain, after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Gleaning was God's welfare program in the Bible, and it was a good welfare program. God's system of taking care of the poor worked well. Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you glean, gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. This was a system that God designed to take care of the poor. It also challenged the farmers to be generous, not to be greedy not to go over the field a second time. He told him not to cut all the way into the corners of the field. He said to leave, leave some there. Leave some standing grain. Leave some of the grapes on the vines. They were to leave some of the crops standing for the poor. The poor would come into the fields and follow behind the harvesters. They would pick up what was dropped or glean from those corners of the fields where the grain was still standing. It taught the farmers to be generous and it also challenged the poor to be active and work for their food. They could provide for their needs by working behind the reapers instead of just getting a handout. God is the one who put the program in place and it worked. This wasn't man's idea. God comes up with a system that encourages generosity of the person who has and encourages hard work and dignity for the person who doesn't have. God's plan works. Next, I want to look at Ruth's attitude as it relates to the provisions of the Lord. Verse 2, she says to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Her attitude is one of trust, an attitude of faith. She was trusting God to provide. But notice something here. We, we We all know that God is the provider. We talk about him as the one who provides noticed that Ruth wasn't sitting back at the house with Naomi, twiddling her thumbs and saying, God is the provider. When is it going to show up? She got up and said, I'm going to go out in the field. She had an expectation of God's provision. But her responsibility was to step out in faith. She didn't wait at home for someone to drop off a loaf of bread or a bag of sweet corn. Ruth was a doer. And that is important for us to note. When we expect the Lord to respond, what is our attitude? Let's not just sit around waiting for a sign from heaven when God has clearly told us, I am faithful. How many times have you looked back and saw God's provision rather than looking forward and seeing it? faith looks forward many times we look back and see the hand of God which we may not have seen at the time God is faithful I had to think of Peter Peter didn't walk on the water to go to Jesus until he got out of the boat Peter walking on the water was a powerful miracle but it meant doing something As a fisherman, Peter knew he would sink. I imagine Peter probably got out of the boat many times and swam to shore when they got close or to cool off. I don't know. But this one time he got out of the boat and walked on the water. But he still had to act. He had to do something that he otherwise knew would be dangerous to see a miracle happen. But the difference was that Jesus said, come. Peter said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter couldn't just step out of the boat anytime he wanted to and walk on the water. Jesus bid him. So there was this promise involved. But he had to act. He had to step out of the boat. So here we have Ruth going out to glean in the field. And she is a Moabite. Let's not forget that. She has no reason to expect that these people are going to be kind to her. She is a foreigner. She goes out to glean in the field behind the reapers. God led her to the field of Boaz. Here again we see the hand of God at work. Verse 3, Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. At this time, Ruth is not aware of it, but God is orchestrating all of this. Of all the fields around Bethlehem, on her first day of going out to glean, she goes into the field of Boaz. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Here we find out about the character of Boaz and the kind of man that he was. Boaz was a godly and kind man. He greets his workers in the Lord. He says, The Lord be with you. And they respond, The Lord bless you. All this is happening during the time of Judges a spiritually dark time in history, a time of apostasy and idolatry. God always has a remnant of people who are devoted to Him. And we see this in Boaz. Even in a dark time, we have a man of godliness, a man of kindness. Boaz is a man of generosity. The first thing his employees hear is about his relationship with the Lord when he says, The Lord be with you. Then Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, Is this the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab? And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rests a little in the house. Ruth asked permission of Boaz to glean in his field. Remember, this is a time when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Boaz was impressed because he saw character and a quality of character in this woman that impressed him. You're out there as a beggar, walking behind people, picking up the leftovers. It's probably humiliating. Yet Ruth was the kind of woman who came early and stuck with it. Ruth was a diligent worker. What is my attitude when I'm tasked with a job that is boring, difficult, or both? Ruth had a great attitude. Verse 8, we see where Boaz now speaks to Ruth. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. In Boaz, we see what we should see in every man. We see the protector, the provider coming out. He talks about the vessel of drink. The water was set aside for the workers. The gleaners would have had to bring their own drink. Boaz puts himself out to Ruth as a provider. I'm going to take care of you. I will protect you. Why would he do that? Verse 10 says, She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth couldn't figure it out. Maybe Ruth saw her mother gleaning in Moab and saw how she had been treated and probably expected some of the same bad treatment. But she is getting the opposite. Blessing is being poured out on her. In verse 11, we have Boaz's response to her. It says, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Here we have Boaz point out the character qualities in Ruth that he appreciates because they speak for themselves. He responds to her far better than what a gleaner would have expected any landowner to do. Boaz also knew of Ruth's commitment to the God of Israel. This was his way of showing kindness and encouragement to a young believer in the Lord. She says, Under whose wings, and this is a beautiful picture, you can imagine a small bird snuggling under the wings of its mother. It gives a picture of trust and security. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he... Passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposefully for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. Boaz had no responsibility to this woman, yet he is taking the responsibility. Look here in verse 17. Earlier it was reported that she started in the morning, and here we see that she's working till evening. I'd say that Ruth's a pretty good worker. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. And an ephah is about five and a half gallons, just a little bit less than a bushel. And this would be enough for her and Neoma to live on for a couple of weeks. It's a good day's work, but a long day's work. She worked from sunup to sundown. Then she goes in and separates the kernels from the stalks. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. So Ruth brings Naomi some leftovers, the food that was left over from the meal. With Boaz. This was obviously a blessing for Naomi. And her mother in law said to her, Where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother in law, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter in law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living of the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relative of ours one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in other, any other field. So she stayed close by the young woman, women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So to wrap it up, later we say that Ruth marries Boaz. They then had a son, Obed, who became the grandfather of Judah's greatest king. Ruth was the great-grandmother of David. The women of Bethlehem exalted Ruth as the loving daughter-in-law, who meant more to Neomah than seven sons would have. Her name later appears in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. We also have the Boaz, the kinsman-redeemer relationship. We also see that Ruth's firm commitment of, Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God, brought a rich reward to the family, nation, and ultimately all mankind. And all this took place in a time when every man did that which was right in his own eyes, a time when so few people really live committed faithfully in godly lives. So may we be encouraged this morning in God's goodness, in the way that He cares for his people. May we be committed to God in following His will for our lives. God's way is the best way. And may we be a part of that remnant. That faithfully follows Jesus, shall we have song.